celebrated uh, what we would call Valentine's Day. And uh, on Valentine's Day, there's a lot of phrases people use, a lot of things people say. Um, you get those, uh, they call them like conversation hearts. They got words on them. Um, and uh, so there's a lot that come to mind, uh, you know, sweetheart, I love you, blah, 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 all that mushy stuff, you know. Um, and, uh, but the one that, that I always thought was really weird it was the one that says, be mine, you know, it's, it, be mine. It's like on everything, be mine. And was, as a kid, that was just, that was really weird. But um, uh, when Pastor talked to me about uh, preaching this Sunday morning, I, I had a lot of different ideas coming through my mind and whatnot, but all weekend I've been singing the song we just sang, um, he is mine. And so that's what I want to preach about today. He is mine. Is he yours? Um, and so to, to get started, um, this, the song that the men just sang uh, comes from Song of Solomon 6.3. It says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. So I'd just like to take a few minutes, hopefully not too many minutes, and talk about what God is to me. Not just how I feel, but what the Bible says God is to me. And not as a whole, not what he is to everyone else. If we were to talk about all the attributes of God, we would be here all day, all week, possibly all month. But I want to just talk about the specific passages in the Bible where it says, this is what God is to me. Um, but first, let's pray. That's a good place to start. Dear Lord, I thank you for today. Thank you for those that are here this morning. Um, just pray that you'd guide my heart, guide my mouth, guide my hands and, and my mind. Help me to be calm, to be um, clearly thinking, Lord, and that the... Whatever you want conveyed would be what is conveyed in this sermon today. I pray that you bless all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. First off, I just want to start, um, it's kind of in, in, divided in two parts today. Um, the first part is what God is not to me. Um, and there's not very many things that I could say God is not. But I am a Christian, and therefore there are some things that God is not for me. Um, and the first one, the one I can think of, is, is that God is not my judge. Um, if you are here today and you are fearing the judgment of God, it could be that it, you're not saved, that God isn't inside your heart. Um, the Bible says that those who are saved are not, you know, will not have to face condemnation. Um, John chapter 12, I'll head over to John 12, and I've got a ton of passages today, so I'm sorry if I can't, if you can't quite catch up, but you can write down all the references I give you, and uh, it would be good to go back and look them up. But in John chapter 12 and verse 47, Jesus speaking, and he said, If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And a lot of people would like to use that to say, Well, you shouldn't judge people, and Jesus wasn't judgmental and all that. And, and there's other verses um, that could clarify this. But in verse 48 it says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words, so somebody who does not receive the gospel, says, Hath one that judgeth him, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. The Bible says that when the, the dead stand before God, they're judged out of the books. And one of those books is the word of God. They're judged out of the word that they rejected. And so God is not my judge. Um, in John chapter 5, verse 22 through 30, you don't have to go there. 9, 39, chapter 12, verse 31, chapter 16, 8 through 11, all outline God's judgment and anytime you find it where it says God's judging them according to their works or that they were judged after death, it's referring to somebody who's unsaved. Um, it's referring to somebody who, who didn't receive the gospel. In Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, let's see if I can find it here, Romans, and chapter 1 says here in the very end of the chapter, if you look at the chapter, the apostle Paul is speaking about some people and the, they're not very nice people. 
In verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God was revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. In verse 27, it says, And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving the, of themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat. It says in verse 29, Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. These aren't your regular churchgoers. Okay? These are unsaved people. In verse 32 it says, Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, it says they know that, that, that God will judge them for this. It says not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And if you keep on reading, originally there wouldn't be a break in chapter 2. And it says in verse verse of chapter 2, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. It says you do the same things that you're judging these people of. So in chapter 2, it's still not talking about Christians. It's, still not, it's written to the church, but did you know there are unsaved people in churches? That, that is a fact. It, it, it's, it's not uncommon. In verse 2 of chapter 2, it says, But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Which commit such things. I, God is not my judge. I know that sounds a, maybe a little uh, overboard, maybe a little um, prideful. But I, I've, I've been studying this in, in, in the Bible, and, and every time you find God judging someone who was a Christian, it was on this side of eternity. But the people who were judged on the other side of eternity were the unsaved. And they were, they were judged f for either heaven or hell. That, that, that was, and, and, and at that point, there is no option for heaven. The Bible says that, that their, works, you know, their works are already done. They've already made their choice. In verse 16 of chapter 2, it says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Romans chapter 5 and verse 16 and set following, we'll go just turn over Romans 5 and verse 16, it says, And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but wherein sin abound. Grace did much more abound. That as sin which reigneth unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. This whole passage is, is a bunch of opposites. In 21, we'll work backwards. In 21, you have sin and you have righteousness. In verse 20, you have law and you have grace. In verse 19, you have disobedience and obedience. And in verse 18, you have, you have judgment and you have the free gift. I have received that free gift. It's called the free gift of salvation. In Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, I'm not going to face condemnation. I don't have that judgment on top, over my head. I don't have that judgment waiting on me for when I die. I stand before you unafraid of my eternal destiny or some judgment for past sins because I received that free gift in Romans 6.23. I believed in Romans 10.13 where it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I accepted that for myself personally. 
Nobody else could do that for me. My dad couldn't do that for me. A preacher, a priest, somebody can't do that for you. That's something that you have to do yourself. And I did that when I was a young boy. I do believe, I do believe that there are rewards, like I said, for Christians who uh, obey or disobey God. And, and rewards can be good and bad. Um, in Hebrews chapter 9, I'll say in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says... And it is appointed unto men once to die, and then the judgment. If you could go a little bit farther to 1 Peter, I'll go to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17. Get there. 1 Peter 4 and verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin, where does it say? At the house of God. This is a verse I would use to, to, to combat people who say that church... Christians shouldn't be judgmental. I don't believe we should be judging other people necessarily. The Bible says, judge not that you be not judged. But it says, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. And verse 17, it says, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the go- be that obey not the gospel of God? It's saying, in this life... Our- we as Christians, we're to judge ourselves. We should, we should examine ourselves, as the Bible says. But it says, for the people that don't do this... When it comes to eternity, God's going to judge them. In verse 19, wherefore let them that suffer according to, or verse 18, and if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? The Bible says they'll appear before the great white throne judgment. And so in 2 Peter, in 2 Peter 2, 9, it talks about how that God has people and God has wicked people reserved in judgment for, for that day, the day of judgment. In chapter 3, verse 7 of Second Peter, it says, But the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Once again, these are unsaved people. This isn't, this isn't every human being. This is just those who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. In, in uh, Jude 1 through 6... Uh, I have a hard time reading my writing up here. In Jude 1 through 6, there's a couple verses that talk about how that, in verse 6 it even says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of that great day. But in verse 3 it says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. He says, hey, don't lose the faith. Don't change your mind. Don't, un- don't get deceived about what I wrote unto you originally. The common salvation, it's simple. The gospel is not complicated. It's hard for us in our pride to accept it. But the gospel is, is, is simple. The Bible says that God uses the simplicity of preaching. In verse 4 it says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, meaning they're under that judgment, they aren't saved, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. There is an attack today on the grace of God. There's an attack of to either wipe it out or to distort it so that it's not what, what the Bible says it is. There's so many religions that use Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 and say, well, the Bible says that you're saved by faith. You're not saved by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. You have to have faith to be saved, but having faith doesn't make you a Christian. About a year ago, I, no, less than that, I was talking to someone, a mother of a child who was coming, and she had some problems um, with, with what the co- child was coming home and saying about church because we preach the Bible here. And she said, well, you guys just teach that you have to believe your way, and, and it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. And I wish I, I had up 
you know, attack that answer better, but I was just so at a loss for words. There's people, a lot of religions, they're, they're using the faith now. That You see verse 9 of, of second, or Ephesians 2, it says, not of works which we have done. You know, it's not by works. Um, and so there's a lot of people that say, well, you know, yeah, it's not by works. You just have to have faith. You just believe in God, and then you go to heaven when you die. But that's not what saves us, because faith is still something that we apply. It's through faith, but it's by grace. Only the grace of God can save us. And those same people are the ones that want to say, well, now that after you're saved, after you have faith in God, you can use God's grace to then do whatever you want, because God will forgive you. God is gracious, and, and God is full of grace, and so you can do whatever you want. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, the Bible's opposite. The Bible says you don't get saved by faith and then live by grace. It says you get saved by grace and you live by faith. And they're distorting what the Bible says. And here he says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. In the end of that chapter... In the end of that chapter, verse, uh, I believe, 15, says, On that day, it says, To ex- execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly, among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That is a very ungodly verse, let me tell you. There is a lot of ungodly in that. That is not the saved. And it's talking about judgment. The, the, the judgment of God is not on the Christian. And if you're, you're, maybe, maybe you are a Christian, but you've been, you've been kind of fearful as to, you know, you know, I've made mistakes in my life. And listen, God's not going to judge you for, for what you did in your life. Now, before you crucify me, I know that there is the day, the, you know, the, the judgment seat of Christ that Christians talk about. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But first, we got to understand what the judgment of the unbeliever is. The judgment of the unbeliever in, in Revelation chapter 14, Revelation chapter 14, it says... Revelation chapter 14, in the last days it's talking about. And chapter 14 and verse 6, it says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains and waters. In in chapter uh, 10, or no, in verse 10 of that chapter, chapter 14, verse 10, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. That sounds pretty bad. But this isn't the saved. This is the unsaved. In chapter 20, it's, it's talking about the very end. In chapter 20, after, God, after the thousand-year reign of Christ and the devil is released and the people are deceived again, It says in chapter 20 and verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Now, when it says according to their works, it's not saying, well, if they did good things, they'll go to heaven, and if they do bad things, they'll go to hell. They've already been condemned. But Jesus is bringing them back to the, ju- to the great white throne, and he's saying, listen, this is why. Because of one thing, you never accepted me as your Savior. It doesn't matter if you did a, lo- a lot of good things. It doesn't matter if you went to church or got baptized or were a nice person or had faith in God. If you never accepted my free gift of salvation, 
this is where you'll go. In verse 20, or in verse 13, it says, And then the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You don't want to be part of that judgment. That, that judgment is not where you might have a second chance. It's over. That, that's it. And if you're here today and you're saying, well, that kind of makes me nervous. Well, maybe it's because you've never been saved. Maybe it's because you have a reason to fear that judgment because God is your judge. God is not my judge. I'm a Christian. When I was just a young boy, I asked Jesus to save me. He's not my judge. But if you have never done that, he is your judge. He doesn't have to be. That can change today. Today... On February 25th, you could pray and ask Jesus to save you, and he would change that. But until then, until the day you get saved, God is your judge and will be if that's how you die. In, in chapter 10 of Revelation, or I should say chapter 11, verse 18, chapter 11, verse 18, it says, it makes another comparison. It says, the nations were angry and their wrath has come and the time of the dead that they should be judged. That's what we just read about in chapter 20. And it says, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets. That God, the Bible doesn't say that God judges Christians. The Bible doesn't say that, that God is going to put you on, on trial and you are going to be judged for your sin. But there is a judgment seat of Christ. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, I believe it's chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 3 through 5, and in Romans 14, 10, and then in 2 Corinthians 5, 10. It, all three of those passages say, we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You say, well, why are we there if we're not to be judged? Because it's not us that's getting judged. Remember, the dead were judged by what? By their works. The dead were judged by their works. But for the Christian, if you've been saved, you, don't, you are not under con condemnation. God's not judging you. For the Christian, God is judging our works. The Bible says we're going to appear, we're going to give an account for the things we did. And, and our works are going to be on trial that day. In, uh, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 3. Let me find 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, it, it explains this. And it says here in chapter 3 and verse 9, For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. He's saying, okay, this is your life. The foundation, in verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, Jesus Christ. And that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He said, Jesus is the foundation. But on that, you can build things. On that, you can build things in your life. It says, now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, well, that sounds good, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. At the judgment seat of Christ, you and I will stand before God, and God will say, I'm going to try your works. And how we try it is by fire. And whatever comes out is what you get. That's what you get to take into heaven with you. The, the, the unsaved are at the, at the great white throne judgment. It's, it's the judgment of heaven or hell. Heaven's not an option. It's too late. It's hell. But for the saved, it's not whether or not you're going to go to heaven or hell. It's whether or not your works, the things that you did in your lifetime, were what God wanted you to do. Whether they were gold, silver, precious stones, or whether they were wood, hay, stubble. What are the, what, what's wood, hay, stubble? What is the most valuable resource you have? Not your money. It's your time. 
because you can never get it back. No matter how much time you save, you spend 100% of it. It's all gone. How do you spend your time? When you choose to spend your time doing something that isn't what God wants you to do, it's wood, hay, and stubble. And I'm afraid many of us are going to get to the judgment seat of Christ, and God's going to judge our works. Not so that we can go into heaven. That's already decided. But God's going to judge our works, and he's going to say, look, you've got all this stuff that got burnt up, and this much gold and silver and precious stones. Um, God wants us to have rewards. And, and I believe there's other rewards that the Lord gives us. But here it, it's talking about, you know, the things we did in our lifetime that can be rewards for ourselves. What we can take to heaven with us. Souls are something that are uh, gold, silver, and precious stone. If you lead somebody to the Lord, that's something you can take with you to heaven. You can't take your money to heaven. You can't take your sports. You can't take your education. You can't take your best friend unless they're saved. But you can take souls. You can, you can support a missionary. Every dollar you spend on something that's absolutely worthless that, let's say, God doesn't want you to spend, that's wood, hay, and stubble. And the, and the money that you spend the way God wants you to, that's gold, silver, and precious stones. And so, if nothing else, I hope you think about it today. What am I going to have? What is going to be left after the trial's over, the flames all died out? Will I have gold, silver, and precious stones or will I have ashes? In chapter 3 there in verse 9, it says, If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. There is no, remember, there's no judgment on the Christian, but on their works. They'll be saved, so as by fire. But that's it. There, there's nothing else going to be there to await them when they get to heaven. God is not my judge Thank goodness. I, I, I don't have to worry about that. But now real quick, I want to talk about what God is. Yeah. What God is to, to me and, and from the Bible specifically. Obviously, most importantly, he is, number one, God is my Savior. Isaiah 12 verse 2 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. If you are fearing judgment today, it could be because God is not your Savior. God is not just somebody else's savior. God died for every single person in the world. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But God didn't just die for the world. God died for you. God died so that you could go to heaven. God died for me. He's not just the savior. He's my savior. If I was the only person that ever lived, Jesus would have had to come and die on a cross to pay for my sin. And are you ready? He would have done it because he loved me that much. He's not just the world's savior. He's my savior. Is he your savior? Not your parents' savior, not your pastor's savior, not your teacher's savior. Is he your savior? When have you called on the name of the Lord, as Romans 10.13 says, and asked him to be your savior? It doesn't happen over time. There's, I, unfortunately, I was talking to somebody a while ago, a young man, and he was saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I've kind of you know, been learning a lot, and I think I'm becoming a Christian. You don't become a Christian over time. The Bible says there's a day of salvation. There's a time when you say, God... I can't do it. I need your grace through faith to save me. And God will do it. Is he your savior? Um, he is my salvation. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a pastor's kid. I get an amen right there. I know I was expecting Mr. Spear to help me out on that one. I'm not going to church or to heaven because I'm a pastor's kid. I'm not going because I got baptized. I'm not going because I did good things. I'm not going because I teach a Sunday school class. I'm not going just because I have faith. 
I'm going because Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. There was a time in my life when I asked him to be my Savior. And he paid for my sin on the cross. My sin. Not, any, not just everybody else's, but my sin. Jesus would have had to die for my sin. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 47, Mary, the mother of Jesus, came to the temple. And, and, or it was before she had come to the temple. But she had heard that the angel had spoken to her. And Mary, the mother of Jesus said of Jesus, I rejoice in God, my Savior. Every person needs a Savior. The only person who ever lived that, wasn't, that, that didn't have sin, who was sinless, was Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter if they were a saint. It doesn't matter if they were special. Nobody except the Lord Jesus Christ was sinless. And every single every one of us needs a Savior. Mary needed a Savior. In... in, uh, in Second Samuel 22.3, Isaiah 63.8, um, David and, and Isaiah both talk about God being personally my Savior. In Job 19.25, Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. The Lord is my light and my salvation, Psalms 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Um, secondly, God is my light. Psalms 18.28 says, God is my light. Thirdly, God is my father. Psalms 89.26, I'll turn there real quick. Psalms 89 and verse 26 says that God is my father. In fact, the Bible says, when my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Psalms 89.26 says, he shall cry unto me, thou art my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. He's not just, don't get this idea that God's the father of the world. Okay? God started everything. We, we know that. But God's not just everybody else's father. God's my father. I have a father. He's here today. But one day he won't be. There are some of you in here who maybe that is not something you can say anymore. But you can have a father in heaven who will never die, who will always be there, who will always listen to you, who's always on call. He's, he's never sleeping. He's never sick. He's never tired. And you can go to him if he's your father. A lot of people want to say, Pray this prayer today. There's people in churches everywhere praying, Our Father which art in heaven. But he's not their father. He's not their father. They're, they're, just, they're just saying empty words, that get, trying to repeat these words and, and act like it's going to do anything for him. John chapter 8, Jesus talk, spent the whole chapter talking about how that him and the father were one. And there's a lot of religions out there that want to say that they believe like we do and, and that we're all in the same boat. But then they say, well, God was, you know, Jesus wasn't really God or Jesus didn't start out as God. Jesus became God or, 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 or Jesus wasn't completely God. Jesus was God and, and Jesus died for us, but he's also our father. You say, I don't understand it. That's okay. That means God's bigger than you. Okay. And that, that's kind of a big deal. It's good that God would be bigger than us. It says, uh, in John chapter 20 and verse 7, I'll uh, jump over there real quick. In John chapter 20 and verse 7, Jesus had risen from the dead. He, he came out of the tomb. He, he, uh, that Mary was there. She, was, she had had a really bad day. Um, not only had Jesus been crucified three days before, but now she comes and his body's gone. But she turns and Jesus speaks to her and she realizes it's him. And she runs to him and, and he says in chapter 20 and verse 17, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren... He says, my father, my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father, and to my God and your God. God is my father, personally. I, I have a personal relationship with him. Do you? When my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. First and second Timothy, the very second verse of the, of the whole book um, 
Paul writes and, he's, and, he's, and he speaks about our Father. In 2 Peter 1.17, he's speaking to the church. He says, he, he's talking about how the, our Father, the grace of our Father be with you. Paul claims our Father as, as his Father, as a personal relationship with, with God. Next thing, God is my Rock, God is my rock. Psalms 42, 9, Psalms 62, 7, Psalms 91, 2, Psalms 94, verse 22. I'm sorry I'm naming all of these passages off. I started looking up stuff last night, started like looking up verses and everything, and I, I had to like trim it down to fit all these references in here. Um, there's so many verses about this in the Bible. Psalms 94, verse 22 says, But the Lord is my defense, and my God is the rock of my refuge. Next thing, God is my king. God is my king. In Psalms 44, 4, it says that. In Psalms 68, 24, it says that. In Psalms chapter 74, we'll turn a couple pages back. Psalms chapter 74 and verse 12, it says, For God is my king of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. Psalms 84, 3 says the same thing. We also see God is, next thing, God is my help. God is my help. Psalms 54, 4 says, Behold, God is mine helper. In Exodus 18, 4, Psalms 22, Psalms 27, 9, Psalms 28, 7. Let me turn that one really quick. Psalms 28, 7, Psalms 30, verse 10, Psalms 40, verse 17, Psalms 42, verse 5, Psalms 63, verse 7, Psalms 70, verse 5, Psalm 94, 17. Every single one of those passages says, God is my help. Is God your help? Or is the doctor your help? Or is your checkbook your help? Or, or is your best friend your help? God is my help. Josh, I believe it was Josh last Sunday that said, God is not to be our first resource. God is to be our, our only resource. Our only option. Now, obviously, we, we have things that we have to do. We have to go to the doctor and whatnot. But how often do we pray first? Or how often do we just get up and do things without expecting or asking God for his help? God is my help. And the Bible, that is one of the largest things I found about what God is to me. God is my help. God is my strength, it says over and over again. In Psalms chapter 28 and verse 7, I got to the verse I wanted to find. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth and with my song will I praise him. Psalms 121 is a awesome chapter to memorize. I encourage you, you should try to look up Psalms 121 and memorize it. It's only a couple verses. It starts out, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. Listen, God, God wants to help you. But God doesn't force himself on anybody. Even a Christian. All these things that I'm saying, other than the God is my judge, these things are all available to a Christian. Yet how many people claim them? How many people recognize them? How many people treat God like that's what he is to them? Hebrews 13 says, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Wouldn't it be nice if there are a lot more people that had that mentality? Let's not forget this one. This one's big. God is my maker. Specifically says that here in Job's 13 verse 10, or 35 verse 10, Job 35 10. In Deuteronomy 10 verse 14, it says the same thing. Psalms 21 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul quotes him twice in verse 26 and 20, 28. God repeats it. In Ezekiel 16, you find these people called the Egyptians and Pharaoh. And God prophesies them, God speaks to them and he says, hey, I'm going to destroy you. And the reason was, he said, because Pharaoh said in his heart, I made myself. Listen, we are, we are being taught that we made ourselves. The Bible says it is, not, it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. And when we get away from who the creator is, 
and what the creator is, when we stop believing the Bible and we try to help God, we try to, to say, well, maybe, maybe that's not quite how it went, or maybe, maybe all this uh, evolution stuff can, can fit in to the Bible. No, it doesn't. God is the only creator. God is the only maker. God made you, and God made me. God didn't just make the earth and then say, okay, I, I started the lawnmower, I'll just let it run. Okay, no. God didn't just make the earth and let it continue. God, the Bible says God is the, the giver of life. Every life. My life. God made you. If you have blue eyes, it's because God gave them to you. Not, not because that's just what your parents had. That's because that's what God gave you. God made you. God is my maker. These two nations, Egypt and Assyria, were both destroyed because they said, they said I have made myself. Isn't that what we see today? I fear for our, the kids in our nation who grow up thinking that they've made themselves what they are. Oh, we, we got here on our own. Are you kidding? God destroyed them for their sin in claiming his glory. God is my beloved. God is my beloved. Song of Solomon. You can read the whole book. It's all about God is my beloved. The, Verse I read at the beginning this morning. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. In the Gospels, over six times, God speaks from heaven, declaring that Jesus was his beloved son. In Isaiah 42, 1 through 7, God calls Jesus mine elected. And also in 62, verse 9, elect. And the only way, the only way you and I can be part of the elect of God is to be in Christ. Because Jesus is the elect. That's what the Bible says. It clearly says it right here. It says in Romans 1.9, Paul states that God is my witness. In Philippians 1.8, Paul says, God is my record. In Psalm 71.5, it says, God is my hope. And Hebrews 6.19 says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. It's speaking about Jesus. It's not just saying he's, he's hope for somebody out there. No, he's your only hope. Not just to get to heaven, but to live the life that God has called you to live. This is the only way possible. You can't do it without him. And, and so often we go through our lives thinking that, that we're just existing. That, that God just, yeah, he saved us and then he got done with us. No, God wants to be your everything. God wants to be why you tick. The Bible also says that God is my shepherd. Psalms 23.1, we probably all know this one. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. Not meaning I don't want the shepherd, but I don't want anything else because I have the shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. John 10 and verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine as the father knoweth me, even so know I the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep and other sheep have I, which are not of this fold. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and I'm your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Verse 25, the Pharisees ganged up on him. They surrounded him and they said, they said, tell us plainly if you're the Christ. In verse 25, he said, I told you and ye believe not. The works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Are you following the shepherd? Oftentimes we stop with salvation. We get saved and then when God says to follow him in baptism, we don't follow. When God says to follow him in church membership, we don't follow. When God says to follow him in reading our Bible and praying every day. When God says to follow him in reaching the lost. And when God says to follow him in all these things, we say, well, God, you can be my savior, but I don't want you to be my shepherd. I don't want you to look over my shoulder all the time. I don't want you to tell me what to do. God wants to be your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You got some wants in your life? Maybe you need to follow a shepherd, one that actually cares about you. 
My last thing is this. God is my God. I know that may sound redundant. That may sound a little repetitive. But is he your God? I'm not asking if he's your savior. I believe many of the people in this room are saved today. But is he your God? You see, your God is what you follow, what you believe, what you entrust everything you do with. And I'm afraid many times our God is ourselves. Our God is our children. Our God is our job. Our God is our, our, our sports. Our God, our God is something else in our life. Our God is our church. There's some people like that. The, is God your God? Not just God in heaven, but your God. Is he the one thing in your life that makes you do what you do? I'm afraid that many of our people sitting in pews today, they know God and he has saved them, but he's not God in their life. They have other gods before him. They have other things that are more important than God. Sometimes we get so focused on the things that benefit us, like reading our Bible, going to church, tithing. Yeah, those things will benefit you, but that's not why we do it. We do it because God said so. Is God your God? If he is, you won't have a problem doing those things. If God's your God, it won't be that hard to go to church. If God's your God, it won't be that hard to read the Bible. If God's your God, it won't be that hard to do what he's told you to do. Because he's your God. He's the only thing. He's number one. Is he number one in your life? He's not always been in my life. If God's number one in your life, your foundation will have built on it gold and silver and precious stones. But if he's not number one in your life, you'll have wood, hay, and stubble. Is God your God? So often we want him to be our savior. Maybe we even want him to be our shepherd. We want him to be our help. But, but we've got something else that's in the way of my God. That's not my God. I mean, he's God and he's in control of everything, but, but my God is this. We would never say it, but oftentimes it is the case. In Leviticus over and over it says, I am the Lord, your God. Numbers twenty two eighteen. Balaam, a false, uh, not, I want to say a false prophet. I believe he was a Christian. But it says that Balaam was a prophet. And there was these guys that came to him. They said, we want you to curse Israel. And the first time they came, you know what he said? He said, I cannot go against the word of my God. God, my God. The Lord God, my God. But you know what you find in the next couple verses? He ended up going with them. And you never again see him call God, my God. He's the God of Israel. He's the Lord God, but he's not Balaam's God because money was Balaam's God. This happens over and over again in the Bible. In, in Exodus 15, 2, in Deuteronomy 4, 5, 18, 16, 26, 14, Moses refers to God as his God, not just Israel's God, not just the God. He says he is my God. Joshua 9, 23, Joshua refers to the Lord as his God. And in chapter 14, verse 8, he says, hey, the reason that 10 spies didn't go into the promised land and they all died, the reason that me and Joshua were left is because we wholly followed the Lord, my God. Those other people, God wasn't their God. Wasn't everything they lived for. What do you live for? You live for your kids? Do you live for fun? What's your God? What do you live for? Joshua said, just a couple chapters later, he said, you can serve the gods of your fathers served on the other side of the river. You can serve the gods of the Amorites in this land. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Because he was Joshua's God. He wasn't just Moses' God. He was Joshua's God. In doing this study, I found so many times where it says that these people kept saying, oh, the God of my father Isaac, the God of my father Abraham. Oh, I, you know, they're praying to the, to the God of their fathers. 
Rarely ever, do, you would not believe how, how few men, separate men in the Bible, referred to God as my God. Not the God of my fathers. I don't serve the God of my dad. I serve my God. His name is Jesus. He's my God. Is he yours? Is he why you do what you do? In Ruth 1.16, Ruth told Naomi, her mother-in-law, she said, Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. 2 Samuel 22, 7 and 22, David speaks of his God. David was a man after God's own heart. No wonder he was so, so uh, possessive when he spoke about my God shall, is my help. My God is my strength. My God is my shield. He wasn't just, just out there in case something goes wrong, you can call on God for help. No, he was his God. He was everything to him. Except for that time in his life when he sinned, in which case you don't ever find him saying that. Solomon, his son, David told Solomon, his son, he said, you need to serve the Lord my God. And Solomon did for a while. Solomon built the temple and every prayer you read about Solomon building the temple, he's saying, my God did this and my God did that. And we're going to build a house for my God. And after he built the temple, you know what he stopped doing? God wasn't his God anymore. It says that he married many strange women. They turned away his heart from serving the Lord. He served other gods. It's the first step. And I'm afraid oftentimes we live in this complacent state of, well, I mean, I'm not too bad off. Is he your God? In uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah was a prophet of God, and he was doing what God wanted him to do. He called fire down from heaven, and he said, my God hath done this. Elijah was pumped up. But then the threats came, and Elijah got discouraged, and he got fearful, and he no longer said, the Lord is my God. In fact, he came to the point where he asked God to kill him. That's not what you say to your God if he's really your God. Ezra chapter 7, 28, Ezra was a great man of God and, and he led a revival at Jerusalem. When he came back to Jerusalem, he said, the reason I made it back here is because of the good hand of the Lord my God upon me. And I want to read the verses in Ezra chapter 9. Ezra chapter 9 real quick. Ezra and chapter 9 says, Ezra chapter 9 and verse 5, And at the evening sacrifice I arose from my heaviness. He had been weeping, he had been sorrowing because of the people's sin. And having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God. And I said, O oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespass is grown up into the heavens. And from that point on, after this prayer of Ezra, is when the people of Israel decided to get right with God. For God to be their God. Not just the God of their fathers, to be their God. And this was the greatest revival since the time of Babylon. Since, since they had been taking captivity. And they, this lasted for, for many years yet. And, and Nehemiah, he followed suit. He, he referred to God as his God. And, and he led the people very justly and rightly. And God blessed them. Is he yours? Psalms chapter 40 and verse 8. I just got a couple more verses. Psalms chapter 40 and verse 8. Where to go? Psalms chapter 40 and verse 8 says... I can get there. 40 and verse 8. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within mine heart. Do you like to do, do, you like to do God's will? If, if God is your God, you'll like to do God's will. If God is your God, church isn't a drag. If God is your God, it's not hard to tithe. If God is your God, it's not hard to follow him into the hard things. Is he your God? 
He says, I delight to do thy will, O God. And then what he says in verse 8, yea, thy law is within my heart. I'm not asking if you're saved. I'm saying after salvation, do you have a personal relationship, not with just the Lord Jesus Christ, but with God as the number one thing in your life? Thy law is within my heart, he says. Do you delight to do his will? In, chap- in Psalm 63, Psalms 118 and verse 28, and then in Psalms 146 and verse 2, he says, I will praise him, my God, because he is my God. He says, I will extol him, meaning I will praise him, I will bless him. I have a hard time believing people have God number one in their life when they won't sing about God. Listen, I understand. You may have a hard time singing. But if you come to church and the room's full of people and they're all singing, why not sing? Like, there's some people that'll just sit there and not sing. Hey, listen, if God's number one in your life, there's something to praise God about. There's, some, there's always a good thing to talk about. There's always something to be thankful for. Paul says, Paul says, I thank my God always for you. In Philippians 1, verse 3 and 419, he said, But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Do you praise him? Psalm, Proverbs 38 through 9 talks about how that God, if, if he is someone's personal God, if he is their God, he, they'll be blessed. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 22, the king came to Daniel. He rolled the stone away from the lion's den. He said, Daniel, are you alive? Daniel, what a night. He looked up at the king and he said, my God hath sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. You want to be able to survive the lion's den? You can't if God isn't your God. If he isn't your God, if he isn't your everything, the reason you tick. Most of us, the reason we don't want to be in that situation is because we don't want to be in the lion's den. And that's why we don't want God to be number one because we're afraid he'll put us in the lion's den to prove his power. And that scares us. It takes some submission to call God your God. Matthew chapter 27 verse 48 and, and Mark 15, 34, the creator of the world died on a cross for you and me. And right before he died, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God had to turn his back on himself so that he could accept you and me. And Jesus accepted that. In fact, in Revelation 3, 12, it says, Jesus talks about God. He says, he says these are the people of my God. He said, they're going to dwell in the house of my God. My God is going to bless them. You say, are you saying Jesus and God are separate? No, because at the end of the verse, the best part is he says, and I will put my new name upon them. God is Jesus. They are the same. Don't let somebody trick you into, into thinking that maybe, maybe you know, they're, they're two different parts. No, they are one. But yet even God, in the moment when he had to make the ultimate sacrifice, he submitted to God. Is that what you do? The very last verse I've got here is Revelation chapter 21 and verse 7. Revelation 21 and verse 7, and it says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. I hope you don't wait until you're in heaven, and there's nothing else to be your God before God is your God. I hope you live your daily life this today, this week, this month, where everything you do, you think, man, would God want me to do this? Because God calls the shots. God's Lord in my life. God's in charge. Not my wife, not me, not the kids, not my schedule. God is in charge because he's God. He's everything. He's number one. Is he number one for you? Maybe you're looking at all this and you say, I don't really understand all that. You know, 1 Corinthians says... 
that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, because they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But if there's one thing you can understand, every human being can understand, God can be your Savior, and he wants to be. And if God is not your Savior, God will be your judge. But if you have been saved, God is not your judge. God is your Savior. God is your helper. God is your shepherd. God is your, your hope. God, God is your, at least he should be, your God. And he wants to be. Do you want that personal relationship with him today? I do. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity to preach this morning. I, I know I may have gone long. I hope I didn't uh, uh, spend too much time on this, but it's uh, something that's on my heart. I pray that it was understood. I pray that it was clear enough. Lord, if there's anybody here who does not know you as their personal Savior, not as the Savior of the world, but as their Savior for their sin, Lord, I pray that you would touch them and that they would speak to me or to my pastor, to Miss Wilma, about that and how important that is, Lord, to escape the judgment of God. Thank you that your wrath is not upon us, Lord. Thank you that you are willing to be all those things to us if we'll accept you, if we'll ask you, if you will put you first as our God. I pray that you would stay number one in my life. In Jesus' name, amen.